on this episode of China Unscripted, the Olympics. It's like China isn't even trying. Why Bloomberg loves China's zero COVID policy and Olympic darling Eileen Gu. Welcome to China Unscripted. I'm Chris Chappell. I'm Shelley Zhang. And I'm Matt Ganesta. And today we got to talk about the joy of the Olympics, don't you think? Aren't you guys filled with Olympic fervor? The spirit of the Olympics. Hmm. Oh, yeah. That's one way to put it. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think the best way to start off this uh, talking about the Olympics is I, I got to show this video that I, I posted of uh, a Chinese soldier saluting the Olympic flag. So let's roll that. I love that guy's dedication to it. Like it goes wrong and he keeps plowing ahead. That's really a metaphor for the Olympics, don't you think? The Olympics? Well, I mean, if he didn't do that, he would definitely get in trouble. I mean, I'm sure he's got in trouble. Anyway. Regardless, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, see, I think what's interesting about the video is that all three of the soldiers just keep go going and they have no humor about it, right? Like it's, it's mean, dead serious. They can't, they can't recognize the mistake. Well, that's not, I mean, it's a, it's a flag raising thing. If you ever watch any flag raising ceremony, the people don't look like they have a sense of humor, no I, matter what I, country it I is. I think that's what's wrong with flag raising. Okay. <laughs> we need more comedy in flag raising. <laughs> let's, let's get that. Two flags walk into a bar. <laughs> <laughs> I once knew a flag from Nantucket. Uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> moving on. And we're still classier than the Olympics. <laughs> you know, what was interesting is I saw Christopher Balding posted a, a, a tweet talking about the Olympics and how, you know, his wife was talking about watching the Olympics and going, you know, I lived in China for seven years. I know when, you know, they're trying to put on a good show. And she's like, they're not trying. They're bringing their D game here. <laughs> and that is, that's a good point. Like, why, why do you think that is? Do you think they just don't need to anymore? Well, I mean, I think that some of the pomp and circumstance they would normally have around it is definitely affected by COVID, right? Like, yeah. the fact that you've made everybody come into this bubble and like everybody around you, like the guy, that, the video that you posted of the guy you know, making a martini for somebody. The quarantini. The quarantini. That was good. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, like it's here he is bartending in a full PPE suit. You know, how festive could that be? That's right. Hey, how do you use the restroom when you're wearing one of those? Is that why it's called a PPE? And we're still classier than the Olympics. I would imagine that it's much easier for guys. I mean, I don't want to get into that. <laughs> yeah. Because I, well, I was thinking about the the, the 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 slope that they put in an industrial park. Well, a former industrial park. A former industrial park. Actually, uh, our video editor, Seamus, made the good point that, like, you know, why cut down a like a pristine forest for these horrible games when, like, it belongs in a, a <laughs> former industrial park. This like, is where the Olympics point. belong. What I love about that is, you know, when we were concepting this Olympic t-shirt that we made about, you know, fake snow, real genocide. Which you can get at chinaancensored.tv slash merchandise. Link is below. Okay. Good, good, Chris. Thank you. Uh, like, we could never have come up with this image. Yeah. You know, like, it didn't occur to us at all to, like, put this giant, like, ski slope right in the middle of what looked like nuclear cooling tower. It's Smokestacks. Not, yeah, it's yeah. not nuclear. It's a, it's like a former steel mill. But it just... The whole thing, it just looks so terrible. That's what I've always found in like all of these years covering the Chinese Communist Party. Like in a way, it is beyond parody because they do things that are just, I could never come up with. This is just a good example. It's not beyond parody, Chris. I mean, what have you been doing for nine and a half years? Uh, struggling to meet reality. That's like when it's like, it looks like it's something that belongs in the onion. Oh, yeah. But it's not The Onion. Or update for modern times, Babylon B. Yeah, both. I mean, to be fair to the industrial park, it is something that they are, you know, they're supposedly re uh, kind of claiming it and turning it into a park with tourist attractions and whatever. So they're not the first one to do that. I think it's just the and that ski slope will be there. Mm -hmm. Forever. It's just that right now it's it so weird. brown and uh -huh. gray. But I mean, you remember th what the High Line looked like in New York City, right? Like the High Line Park was built on this old railway. Yeah. yeah. And it was I'm like, sure it looks better in the summer. Yeah. No, no, not. I'm 
thinking because like yeah the high line looks great at the summer but not as great in the winter i don't think i've been there in the winter but you know speaking of like the sort of being beyond parody there was that russian athlete who started posting photos of the meals she was given in quarantine and they fed her this for breakfast lunch and dinner for five days and like imagine being like a high-performing athlete that needs to be on point with everything and this is what they're feeding you yeah, so I don't think the Chinese Communist Party really appreciated that one or all the all of the stories about how terrible the food was for the quarantine athletes because then the Global Times came up with this article about how great the food is at the Olympics and what, you know, people's favorite dishes are in the Olympic Village. A banquet of delicacies. Yeah, and it's just hilarious because there's this there's a joke about how you, you don't know that something is true in China until the Communist Party denies it. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So this it's just kind of like like they they're so upset about like any tiny little thing that makes it look bad that they're like, okay, no, we have to make an article about how everybody loves the food. Well, it's weird because, as you said, they're, it's like they're bringing their D game to this. But they're still kind of, like, concerned about the, you know, public perception of the Olympic Games. Yeah. Well, you know, to your point, Shelley, about it's, you know, you don't know what's true until they deny it. There was some uh, Ch- you know, Chinese foreign ministry saying that they would never manipulate uh, COVID test results. Oh, because people were conf- because people were um, a little concerned that pe- athletes might be disqualified for having positive COVID tests, right. and that might not be the case. Yeah. Well, there's also the the test of like when they accuse somebody else of doing what they're actually doing. Like, remember how they said like they you know the U.S. would be trying to uh, manipulate the games, throw throw the results. And then there's all this talk of like Chinese judges being super biased. There's that there's that one video of um, the Chinese uh, skating athlete kind of like shoving. I forget who he was shoving, but another another country's player. And uh, yeah, it's just, you know, obviously these games are like highly rigged, especially if they're, you know, putting foreign athletes into horrible quarantines where they're not being fed. They don't have access to training equipment. Uh, there's there's loads of reports of no internet or little internet. Oh, that's those athletes' fault for uh, you know coming down with COVID. That's right. Hey, whose fault is it that COVID spread around the world in the first place? No, 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 Chris. China is a victim. I was going to say yeah, because Canada came from Canadian mail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely that. It's kind of like the whole trade deal with the U.S. How they didn't meet their like they didn't even meet like. It was like 60%. Less than 60% of their targets of buying uh, U.S. exports to China. It's not so much a target as it is a promise. That they didn't keep. Well, well, they were like, well, it's not our fault. It was the pandemic. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, who could have done anything about that? Yeah. 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 Who who could have slash should have known in January 2020 when China's trade representative signed the deal that there was a deadly virus? Oh, wait. China already knew exactly what was happening inside China. Yeah, I mean, I will give them December. I believe that most of December, the Wuhan officials were trying to keep it under wraps because they were going to get in trouble. But by January, there's definitely uh, evidence that Xi Jinping knew very early on what was going on. Like it went from a local government cover-up to a central government cover-up. Yep. Until the point when they couldn't do it anymore. Uh, but that didn't matter because then they had the WHO in their pocket. Yeah. Oh, and, uh, also I found this out recently, um, like b- before the pandemic began, the scientific consensus was that lockdowns and quarantines don't work. They're a bad idea. You shouldn't do them. Uh, but then China puts the message that like, oh, we've handled COVID so well and we did lockdowns. You guys, everyone should do it. Uh, and that got kind of echoed down the line in particular by Imperial College London, um, uh, a study by Neil Ferguson, who has been wrong about previous uh, epidemic diseases like swine flu and whatnot. He came up with like this, like what da- data scientists admit is like a horribly buggy, screwed up modeling system that predicted like- 20 ins- million deaths or something. It was really like, that was like the most extreme thing that scared a lot of governments. Right? Yeah, yeah. And it was wildly wrong. And well, you know, it, it turns out Imperial College London is getting a lot of money from China. I mean, I, 
we don't know that that is why they would have done no, this. No, we you know? we can't we can't connect the dots. There are just these dots that are right right there. The problem is that everybody is getting money from China. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's not. I that, mean Harvard too. Yeah. So it's not like we can definitely say that Imperial London College London had a faulty, uh, you know, had a faulty computer model because of Chinese funding. But they just had a faulty computer model, period. And have Chinese funding. Yeah, yeah, those are two unrelated statements. But I think that's you know, one of the things that, you know, we do a lot of studies, you know, the whole modern scientific, you know, uh, way of doing these. You do these studies. But the problem with these complex computer models is the quality of your results are dependent on uh, a large number of assumptions you make all being totally correct, right? And you can never get all your assumptions correct. And so this is a pro this is just a problem with modeling in general. And any data scientist or anyone who does modeling knows this, right? Like, like it's just hard to, to, to get all the inputs right. Um, but the weird thing is that you, know, you put, you know, a dozen or two dozen different inputs in and you get one input out, which is like the number of projected deaths in this case. And people believe that without questioning how the model was set up. So like, why weren't there questions about that? Why weren't there questions about how the model was created? Not just like, you know, what does the model say? Because we we're busy panicking in the middle of a unknown disease spreading around the world. That's that's a good point. No, you're right. We should have been busy panicking, and we were. I mean, I'm just saying that's kind of what happened. I think. Yeah. That, that you know, governments were uh, under a lot of pressure to do something. Yeah, and we were hoarding toilet paper and spraying down our groceries. The spraying down the groceries was, was later. I don't think we had even started hoarding toilet paper yet. Well, I guess this depends on when we're talking about. Yeah. No, I mean, I think this but, was like February yeah, of 2020. Do, do so. something. Yeah. I remember having conversations with people about like, hey, you know, I th like at the beginning, like, hey, I think I've heard about this uh, you know, disease coming from China. And just the progression of like, oh, it's probably, you know, not going to be that bad. Just to, uh, it's, it might be kind of bad. Um, we might be heading for something not so great. Other people are you talking to people? I, I remember talking to people oh, yeah. about that. I because I'm a relentless optimist. <laughs> I definitely remember um, talking with people I was working with at the time and being like, "Okay, well, I think we're going to be out probably a little longer than two weeks." Hey, aren't we almost to the two year anniversary of two weeks to uh, slow the spread? Yeah, fifteen fifteen days to slow the spread, but yeah. it's you know. Like flatten 1500, the curve. Yeah. yeah, two weeks to slow spread, 15 days to flatten the curve. And, you know, like 700 days later, we're, uh, we're doing okay. We're not doing okay. It's, it's good you can admit that. Yeah. But hey, let's, let's get back to the Olympics. Um, I think the other interesting, uh, controversy that's come out of the Olympics is sort of the idea of these American born athletes competing for China and the scrutiny they're getting. Yeah, I it's interesting because the conversation is very different depending on whether you're in America or China. Somebody was saying on Twitter that in America the conversation becomes about race essentially, mm -hmm. and in China the conversation is about class and privilege. Explain that. Well, because the person who's been the most under scrutiny is probably Eileen Gu, right? Her she's a Chinese-American skier who won the gold medal at the Big Air event, which was the one that was in the dystopian-looking industrial park. Uh, and, you know, she had been competing for um, the USA in events and then in 2019 decided to switch and compete for Team China instead, uh, shortly after going to Beijing and meeting Xi Jinping and being in a, a big photo op with a bunch of you know, Chinese uh, Olympic athletes, like future Olympic athletes. Yeah, it's right? crazy that she was next to Xi Jinping, basically. Yeah, so Eileen Gu, she's getting a lot of attention partly because she's the top of her, she's at the top of her game, she's at the top of obviously winning a gold in the Olympics, but also she is um, biracial Chinese-American and has, you know, done things like ch called China her homeland and said how proud she was for... Um, you know, skiing for them. And 
there's talk about whether she had to give up her American citizenship to do it or not. Yeah, because China does not recognize dual citizenship. And so what does it mean when American-born athletes are competing for China? Did they have to give up their citizenship? It's a question uh, they're really trying hard not to answer. Yeah, well, I think the, it's kind of being portrayed as well. Like why are you in the, in the U.S. there's some defense, defensiveness um, from Asian Americans saying like, are you giving people a loyalty test because they're Asian, right? Like, because we're not seen as real Americans. So now you're saying, like, we have to do something or other. Well, because this is in the context of there are white Americans who are competing for China. There are also Chinese Americans who are competing for America, like Nathan Chen, who won gold in the men's figure skating. He's Chinese American and won gold for America. So, like, there's... Well, that seems different. Well, I, I think because that's the more normal way to do it, right? In terms of like, oh, well, you're Chinese-American, you're, you're competing for America. Well, you're talking about an American citizen competing for America. That's not strange. Uh, the, the, the issue that people were having on Twitter was that everyone's making a focus of Eileen Gu, who is Chinese-American, but they're not talking so much about the, you know, no, white Americans. Actually, not on Twitter. That was a BuzzFeed article that ah. brought this up. On Twitter, people were mostly talking about whether it's fair to make this 18-year-old Chinese-American girl like the face of, uh, you know, having to answer for human rights atrocities in China and all this kind of stuff. Well, I mean, you know, she's under a lot of scrutiny also because, you know, she's very beautiful. She even has like a Victoria's Secret contract coming up or something. And like as somebody who is also often scrutinized for being beautiful, I can really relate to the pressures. She it's is. Hard. She does. I mean, she has signed a lot of lucrative deals, um, modeling contracts. She's somebody estimated that she probably has like $31 million worth of sponsorship deals. Really? Victoria's Secret did not offer me that. <laughs> well, Wait till you see the photo shoot. It's, it's classy. I'm now, I can't talk anymore. <laughs> yes. But, um, but like she has lived a very privileged life, right? And so that's what you were saying about like the class versus race debate? Yes. So there, to your point in America, there are white Americans who are competing for the Chinese hockey team. Mm -hmm. And these are Americans who are already playing in China's hockey leagues, like China's version of the NHL. And it's not clear to me whether they had to give up their citizenship, but if I had to guess, I would say probably not. Which is then the issue uh, that like has the Chinese Communist Party made a special exemption for these Olympic athletes. Yeah. It, there was another Chinese uh, American athlete, Zhu Yi, who uh, apparently did give up her citizenship because a lot of media have been reporting that she's given up her citizen oh, American really? citizenship to compete for China. She's the one who fell twice in the yeah. figure skating competition. And has been trashed on Chinese social media. Yeah, there's a lot going on with that because some people had – there were conspiracy theories about whether she got on the Chinese team taking some – like taking a real Chinese person's spot, quote unquote, which is like if you're if you're successful, you're a real Chinese person. But if you're fail – if you fail – There's a lot American, of xenophobia yeah. on the Chinese internet. Yeah, but uh, so there's, there's some theories about whether she undeservedly got a spot because her father is a very prestigious – uh, scientist, I think. Hmm. So, um, like, there's kind of, there were some stuff about that, and I think also obviously because she fell and brought the team China, um, they didn't win a medal in the figure skating partly because of her, yeah. right? So there's a lot of blame. Um, Eileen, actually, there's a lot of controversy over her too because she's not said whether she had to give up her uh, American citizenship. And so people are kind of speculating that if she did admit that she didn't have to give it up, that's bad in terms of uh, of the Chinese internet. They would trash her and trash the government for making an exception because mm -hmm. there's a lot of – you're not supposed to have dual citizenship in China. But a lot of rich Chinese people have passports from other countries. And what they do is they essentially never inform the Chinese government – Mm. that they have. They never surrender their Chinese passport. So then they can travel back and forth and they have, uh, you know, uh, maybe a Canadian passport or an American passport and things like that. So there's a lot of resentment already at people who 
uh, live such a privileged life that they're able to do that. When for most people, it's so hard to get a passport, even a mm. Chinese passport. It's so hard to get a visa to go to another country. Yeah. And so that's why there is the debate about it being a class issue with Eileen Gu. There was also, uh, she made a, a, a very uh, stupid comment about VPNs, uh, you know, because there's been all this debate about, like, you know, China doesn't have a free oh, and open internet. Uh, Olympic athletes have been restricted uh, since there's apparently no little to no internet there. Yeah, I, they promised that there was going to be an open internet, but then apparently there were a lot of websites that are still blocked, even in the Olympic Village. Do you think our Olympic fans <clears throat> are able to watch China and Sensei? Yeah, I had a little tickle in my throat and I kind of interrupted the flow of my joke. Why don't you start again? <clears throat> no, this is reality. That's the problem with like uh, the media landscape today. You never see anyone cough or sneeze. It's it's not real. People need to understand that we're humans too. That we're all humans together. That's beautiful, Chris. You know, this is why I'm beautiful inside and out. Seriously, wait till you see that Victoria's Secret spread. It's I can wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Okay. I think I'm seeing it in my head. Which is unfortunate for me. Yeah, it's it's a new technology they have. It's not a physical copy. It's just broadcast directly into okay. Like meditation on what was it? Or like chakras on you had unblocked. It unblocked. I think yes. that was Matt actually who yeah. had that. Yeah. I, I don't know. That's great. I'll take credit for it. <laughs> okay. Uh one of us is brilliant. Yeah. But so Eileen Gu said she was posting, uh, you know, about the Olympics on Instagram, and then a Chinese person was like, "Well, you can post about this, but you know, millions of people in China can't access the Instagram or whatever." And then she's like, "Well, they can just get a VPN on the App Store. It's, you know, it's free." Meanwhile, Chinese activists have been arrested for using VPNs. Yeah, some people have been arrested for providing VPNs. Yeah, and uh, the App Store has taken down some VPNs too, I believe. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I don't think that because after she made that comment and it kind of spread on the Chinese Internet, people were commenting like you can get a VPN on the App Store. I haven't seen any VPNs it, on the Chinese App Store. Yeah, it was a very much a let them eat cake kind of moment. Yeah, it actually became a meme, which is pretty funny. Oh, yeah. Because her what she said is. It's literally free on the App Store. So people just started putting other things in there. Like anyone could have dual citizenship. It's literally free on the App Store. I see. You know, or anyone can have a Beijing residence permit. It's literally free on the App Store. Just like all these things that ordinary Chinese people cannot get. Yeah. And so Eileen Gu is getting a lot of criticism in the US for like, you know, being a, a trader or, you know, working winning gold for a horrible communist regime that's committing genocide. Uh, then there's like, you know, getting pressure in the Chinese internet for like obviously being a different class of people. And, you know, I just kind of feel bad for her act mostly. Like I, I'm under the impression that she has no real idea what is going on. She's, she's apparently got like this really overbearing tiger mom. You might know something about that, Shelley. Uh, and, yeah, I think she's just she's been thrust into a position that she was not really prepared for or aware of. I kind of feel bad for her. I mean, maybe I'm just, you know, being too warm and compassionate that, you know, she she did know what she did and she just didn't care, but I mean, I think there's there can definitely be a lot of denial. Like we know people who didn't grew up in China and didn't know about a lot of the things like Tiananmen Square that were happening, right? And then you have this moment of like kind of realizing what um, the place you considered your, you know, motherland has done. Yeah. Well, I mean, she grew up in America. Yeah. So it's not. But like... a lot of Americans don't know what's happening in China. And I can understand there's this feeling like, oh, well, you know, I ancestrally belong. Like she called China her homeland. And like, I understand that, uh, like on a emotional level and not just because the Chinese government is pushing that kind of stuff for propaganda reasons, which they definitely do. But, you know, you do feel connected to a place. I remember, you know, because I left China, I was very young when the first time I went back to China when I was a teenager, it felt like, oh, you know, like, like it doesn't feel like being in America. Like it feels like 
totally different and you just come home. It's, it's, yeah. It's like the way I feel about Northern California. <laughs> it's like the way I feel about Cracker Barrel. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, so I can understand the feeling, right? And I remember cheering for China and the Olympics when I was a kid um, before I kind of understood all of the terrible human rights things that happened. Because guess what my parents never told me about? Like the cultural revolution that they went through. Like they, the, there's a lot of um, kind of wanting to shield the younger generation from the bad stuff. Um, so I can understand the feeling, but she is put in a position now where she is essentially covering for the Chinese regime in a lot of ways. Like uh, when Peng Shui came and watched her win the gold medal at the Olympics, somebody asked her, like a reporter asked her about Peng Shui. And then she was like, oh, yeah, like it was just really great to see her happy and healthy and like out here doing her thing. Being controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah. Uh, and maybe she doesn't know what's happening to Peng Shui or doesn't really or believes, uh, you know, the IOC when they say that, like, nothing's wrong with her. She's totally fine, you know, while the government minders are watching her every move. And you can see them in the mirror. But, yeah, so I don't know. It could be ignorance. It could be denial. It could just be that she she doesn't care. Yeah. Well, yeah, regardless, like, she is now in the history books of, you know, winning an American Competing for China to win a gold in the genocide Olympics. Yeah, and I think that's it, right? If if she was just competing for, like, another country that wasn't committing genocide, she would not be getting a lot of these questions. Yeah, like, she's going to be an example of, like, the blindness people had to the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah, and she's not the only example. Like, if you ask me, like, Ray Dalio is a much better example, or Larry Fink, or people who are continually for decades pumping money into the Chinese regime. But and, and I would argue that that, you know, Ray Dalio and Larry Fink, they they're in a position to know much better. Right? Yeah. Than like, you know, a teenager who is Eileen Gu is like about eighteen. She's or something, eighteen. Right? She's been going to so, China and kind of having a very privileged life in China since I mean she, she was, was standing yeah. next to Xi Jinping. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean of course that and that's that's one element of it, right? Which is that the there's a China that the Communist Party wants you to see, and especially what they, you know, the way they treat the elite. It's kind of rolling out the red carpet, nice hotels, top tier cities, all that stuff. And that, and while only a fraction of one percent of Chinese citizens live that lifestyle, that is what people see when they go to China, especially the more, like journalists, congressmen, uh, wealthy investors, business people are all getting that like top 1% type tour. And so like, I understand on one hand, like it's easy to fool people with that. And if Ray Dalio can be fooled, like an 18 year old can certainly be fooled. Um, but I think it'll be really interesting to look back. Like I would wanna interview her 10 years from now and just be like, looking back, you know, how do you feel about this? I mean, she may not wanna answer that question, but like, like I think that the perspective will change. Yeah, and I think we're in the middle of when she decided to switch to China in 2019. It was pre-COVID. It was pre-COVID. It was pre-most of the Hong Kong stuff. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I think the people's perception of the Chinese Communist Party has changed a lot in the last two years. Yeah. Three years now. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's probably part of it. Of course, we already knew what was happening in uh, Xinjiang to the Uyghurs, right? Like, that's that had already been reported. But it wasn't... It didn't get as much mainstream traction. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's 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 a I think a bad situation all around. And like an awkward thing also is that Eileen Gu is probably getting a lot of attention, partially also because she's biracial. Mm -hmm. Um, and like in China, there's still kind of like a like a lot of places. I, this might be changing now because Xi Jinping is doing this whole like we shouldn't be like looking to the West and Western culture, et cetera. But for a long time, like, you know, like models, they would want like Western models rather than Chinese models. They would want, you know, like there was like a prestige in Chinese advertising and things like that attached to things from the West hmm. that like remember there's this like there's a Chinese mattress company that hired some random like old 
white guy to be the face of their mattress company. I forget the name of the mattress company right now, but they wanted it to look like an Italian mattress company. It's a Chinese mattress company. And it became famous all over China and Hong Kong because you would constantly see this guy's face everywhere and no one knew who he was. Did we see that when we were in Hong Kong? We saw that. He's like kind of like an emaciated looking. I remember that. Like, like with glasses and looks really creepy. I think that's also part of it that everybody's like, who's this guy? Yeah, I remember Alan, our photography guy, making jokes about him being like the, the bed Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we'll put up photos like this guy. And the Wall Street Journal recently did a, an investigation to look into who this guy was. Yeah, It was some random... A Western guy who had been living in China uh, in the 90s, I think, and had done like a photo shoot for. Wow. And then like he became famous all over China. He, yeah, he passed away a few years ago. So I don't know that he never, I don't know if he knew about his fame, but like Mm. it's kind of like a crazy thing. So Eileen Gu being beautiful, just like you, Chris. Yes, thank you. Um, You didn't need to say it because it's known, but thank you. Yeah. And, you know, like, Biracial, like she has, like so she's exotic to Chinese people, hmm. um, which is you know kind of in the way that a lot of um, people see like Asians as exotic in America. Like being half white makes you exotic in China. Hmm. So there's like a lot of other stuff kind of coming into this whole situation. Yeah, well, because the Chinese Communist Party has definitely encouraged Chinese people to be ultra-nationalistic, suspicious of outsiders. So there is a whole racial dimension to this. And I think that's why a lot of this, um, having a lot of like Western faces and advertising and stuff like that, that's going to be not okay pretty soon if it isn't already changed. Mm. But that's the way it was in China for a long time. That mattress company stopped using that guy. Oh, that's so sad. The bed Nazi. It's weird those ads that are like around for years and years. Like, you know, remember the, the Dr. Zismore ads in the New York subway? Yeah. That is like a, yeah, I think you'd have to be in New York before 2010 or 2012 to have seen them. Wait, really? Oh, wow. I, I, I spent way too much of my life in New York City. In the subways. Uh, well, so here's here's an interesting thing that has also come out on sort of on the topic of, um, like these Westerners selling out to China. Bloomberg just came out with a piece about why we should support China's zero COVID policy. And like, this is stunning. This came out recently. This wasn't like something that uh, they they dropped like a year and a half ago. This is in the past couple of days. Yeah. And the reason they said it was kind of transparently selfish in a way, right? Because it was like, well, if we want to not have more supply chain issues and delays and things coming from China, then we should support the zero COVID policy because China is going to have a, such a hard time opening up because their vaccines aren't as good, uh, et cetera. That- well, it was also like a takedown of the whole idea of lockdowns that like, oh, you know, as soon as they're out of lockdowns, the virus is going to spread like crazy and then supply chains will shut down. What do you mean it's a takedown of lockdowns? Isn't that saying lockdowns work? Well, no, not long term. Oh, it's it's right. like saying that, like, yeah, we all know that, like, this isn't this isn't a solution. As soon as we come out of lockdown, it's going to spread anyways, and that's not something you're supposed to be, say. Well, I think that there's a there's, that's definitely something that the Chinese Communist Party has not talked about. Is that like how they're going to get out of zero COVID? Like, it's pretty much like we're going to be in zero COVID forever because we're going to stamp it out with zero COVID. Mm-hmm. Everyone will get to keep that health tracking app that we talked about in that episode where, you know, if for some reason you want to uh, travel somewhere and you're Chinese dissident, oh, your health code yeah. goes and from to green be, to red. And to be clear, it's not a vaccine passport. It's not even a contact tracing app because the point of this app is actually to track your movements all the time mm-hmm. and to control where you can go. So Which it's is, not a contact tracing app that like lets people know, or lets you know if you've been somewhere and you might be like exposed to COVID, right? It's actually just like if you if you have a yellow or red thing, you can't go anywhere. Which is also why it's so creepy that Bloomberg is like, yeah, zero COVID policy. We should support it. It's it, like we, we should support their authoritarianism. For them, because it makes the rest of our lives better. Like it's it was just mind-blowingly terrible. It's basically like saying, I love 
uh, slave labor in foreign countries because that makes my products slightly cheaper. Yeah. Right. And like, I'm glad it's happening there. Obviously we wouldn't want it in America because that's wrong. But like in like Vietnam, whatever, like it's, that's fine. It's the same thing. And I, I, I guess I, I don't understand how people can have that disconnect where like, it's wrong to treat people a certain way here in America, but it's okay to treat them badly if they're somewhere else. Like, how does that, how does that work? Like, you know, aren't these people supposed to be citizens of the world? I mean, I think that people would say, well, it's bad to have slave labor there, but there's nothing we can do about it. But there, there's lots of things we can do about like it. Like stop buying stuff made in China? Yeah. Uh, I mean, and, you'd think that this would be, an if you're worried about continued supply chain issues, and it, like that might be a sign that maybe it's time to diversify your supply chain. I think it is. I think it's time. The, so Bloomberg, you know, releases this article that could basically have been written by the People's Daily. Oh, yes. And that's then, right. I know where this is going. And then the People's Daily publishes an article called World Should Support China's Zero COVID Policy, uh, Bloomberg. Like, and it was basically just four paragraphs of exact lifting of the Bloomberg article. Which is often how Chinese state-run social media works. They get foreign press to say something in line with party propaganda, and then party propaganda says, hey, they said it. We didn't say it. Mm-hmm. They said Bloomberg said it. And wow, what was circle of life. <laughs> and what was funny is that like every paragraph in this article was, it was probably the, the easiest article this propaganda worker ever had to write. Right, mm-hmm. which was just like literally pulling paragraphs from the Bloomberg article, ignoring the ones where they talked about China has a problem, uh-huh. and just saying like how great the zero COVID policy is, and then just adding the report says at the end of every paragraph. Because of the closed internet, nobody reading the People's Daily article is going to be able to get to the original article. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think they would, but uh, sorry, then, VPNs are free. You know, they're literally free. Uh, but <laughs> the funny thing is, they forgot to do it. A couple times so they just literally put the exact same paragraph that was in like copy pasted the exact same paragraph in the Bloomberg article as part of the People's Daily article it was it was pretty beautiful to watch that happen and I was like the circle of propaganda the, the loop has closed Bloomberg. for the media company started by the man who said Xi Jinping is not a dictator well Bloomberg also got in trouble about 10 years ago for actually censoring their own reporting on China. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they killed a story by one of their reporters because they were afraid it was going to get them into trouble with the Chinese uh, leadership. Yeah. You actually asked him I, directly I was, about I was that. at a press conference. It was, it was an unrelated press conference. And I was there and I asked Michael Bloomberg, who was then, you know, the mayor of, of New York City. And I asked him about that. And then he basically tried to flip it on me and accused me of like making stuff up and like all these things. Like, like I felt personally attacked <laughs> and I was like, this is a really interesting response to my question. Yeah. Um, How did he try to attack you? It was like almost 10 years ago. Well, I remember he was remember. like, you know, and it's, I, I've, I've divested any uh, control over Bloomberg News and you should get your facts right. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of like that thing. He didn't, he didn't be like, oh, you know, you look like a monkey. It wasn't like that kind of attack. Uh, it was just, um, yeah, like accusing me of, of being a bad reporter or that kind of thing. Uh, and yes, like as mayor, Michael Bloomberg uh, had to technically divest himself of uh, his... Uh, you know, corporate positions, right? So you can't be a mayor and actively run a new site. But the reality is that you never fully can divest, right? And this is, interestingly, this is the same argument that people used to attack Trump, which is that like, you can say, oh, as president, you're technically divested from, you know, the Trump organization or whatever, right? He's not actively running hotels and brands and all those things. Right. But like, oh, but it still has your name. So you still like at some level have control over it because you hired the people and all that stuff and you're responsible. And I think there's some truth to that argument. And there's also some truth to that argument with Michael Bloomberg. So like, yeah, you know, you you're responsible for the news organization you created. Uh, 
And, you know, in Michael Bloomberg's case, it was it was probably clear that after his third term as uh, mayor, he would go back to having, you know, some position where he's actively running things again. So you, you just he I don't think it's fair for him to say he's totally blameless for what his organization does. And on top of that, all the top management of his organization understand that that while Bloomberg Media is technically separate from Bloomberg LP that does the terminals, the, those are the uh, investment terminals. And that's like their main source of money, right? Providing real-time stock and other financial data, right? Like their big business model relies on having those terminals sold in China and getting access to real-time data from the Chinese markets, right? That's part of their global business. And that's the main way that uh, the company makes their money. And so the media company that's that's tied to Bloomberg understands that there is this relationship and uh, the, you know, getting kicked out of China uh, would mean not just the news getting kicked out of China, but potentially everything getting kicked out of China. I mean, that's the reason that they killed the story, right? Right. Well, no, the, Bloomberg is afraid of getting kicked out of China, period. Also, they killed a story that was critical of Chinese leaders. There are two dots. It's not my job to connect them. It is not, yeah. Well, I think those dots are a lot closer than the other dots. Yeah, well, in this case, uh, Michael Bloomberg accused me of getting my facts wrong for connecting the dots that should not have been connected in his view. He really hurt you, didn't he? He did. He hurt, he hurt my, my feelings. I'm very sensitive. I have a very fragile ego. It's very large, but also very fragile. Yeah, it's a tough life being me. Speaking of glass, uh, let's talk about Bing Dwindwin. I don't want to talk about that horrible panda monster. <laughs> when I first saw that mascot, I was like, what is this thing? Yeah, nobody really liked him when he was debuted a few years ago as the official Olympic mascot. And he looks like a panda bear who's kind of encased in, it's been called an ice suit. And then they started saying it was a space suit because he was a panda from the future of winter sports coming. Well, why would he be to, from space? I it, Look, this whole thing is very unclear. No, he's from China, but he, but he represented space in the future Olympics. <laughs> he gave up his citizenship for a space citizenship. Oh, okay. Well, I that... compete for space in the Olympics. <laughs> well, there we go. I don't like that. Uh, well, pretty soon that's just going to be competing for China. But yeah. Ooh. Yeah, China's making all kinds of space plans. Yep. Uh, anyway, so Bing Dwindwin is this like panda mascot, right? And people called him ugly. and uh, Which made me so happy that people recognize how hideous pandas are. They called him things like... Uh, a flash frozen panda or a sesame ball with its filling leaking out. Um, Beautiful. This is according to a Washington Post story. Like we talked about this in uh, last week's headlines episode about how uh, there's been a sudden run on Bing Dwindwin where like he was really unpopular and now there's like a huge Bing Dwindwin craze mm -hmm. where people like all of the products featuring him are selling out all the time. And then police started arresting people for trying to resell products at like a 300% markup or something like that. It was just- Supply and demand. But, but why, like, why is Bing Dun Dun suddenly so popular? Have, have people's artistic tastes fallen so far in like two years that something that was ugly in 2020 is now considered beautiful? Like that doesn't make any sense. Well. Well, this Washington Post article is talking about how like it, the hype could be being boosted by Chinese state-run media, essentially. Because they keep kind of pushing Bing Dun Dun, uh, like the and the Olympics are too. Like on the Olympics Twitter account, there's a there's a video of Bing Dun Dun getting stuck in the door of one of the Olympic venues. Oh yeah, and how cute that. is this, etc. Not uh, cute at all. Uh, but... but what's also interesting is that according to an analysis by the Sydney Morning Herald, almost twenty percent of accounts posting on Twitter about Bing Dun Dun were created in the last month. Hmm. Which makes it sound like one of those kind of inauthentic, coordinated uh, campaigns, like the whole uh, hashtag thing that they were trying to do with the genocide games. 
Now, a lot of people, when they create Twitter accounts, use a profile picture from Shutterstock. <laughs> that has, and they have no followers, and they don't follow anyone. I they know just what the post about Bing Dunduin all the time. I know what the Bing Dunduin suit is. It's it's one of those guys from Among Us because he's so sus. Oh, well, what I thought is that kind of looks like PPE in a weird way. Like it reminds yeah. me of the people wearing the full suit PPE everywhere in the Olympics. But of course, the, the mascot was created before the pandemic. Yeah, so it's not supposed to be, but it kind of reminds me it's of just that. Just prescient. Uh, but uh, the you know, like they were hashtag was it called hashtag bombing the genocide games hashtag a while ago, where um, these researchers from Clemson University did a study where they looked at hundreds of thousands of tweets that were talking about the genocide games, and a lot of them prior to January of this year were had nothing to do with the Olympics. It was just random stuff in a in a, an effort to kind of dilute the hashtag genocide games that activists were trying to use to bring attention to the genocide games. This was AJ. a while ago because yeah. now it now, now if you it's look cleaned at it. up. Yeah. So Twitter basically deleted a bunch of the accounts that were doing that. You know, they've cleaned it up. So now if now if you look at the hashtag genocide games, it's mostly people talking about the genocide games, but you know, from like six months last year, before people, most people would have been talking about it. Most of the tweets were just random stuff created by like uh, obviously bots and un inauthentic accounts in an effort to change the conversation about the Olympics. It's it's interesting because that's like you know all the dystopian movies about how the future of like robots and AI would screw us. This is this is not a way anyone thought about how people would be using robots. I mean, it's less exciting than watching, you know, a robot war, right? That's true. Like watching people fight on Twitter. Speaking of, I just watched Johnny Mnemonic for the first time. Highly recommend it. It is fantastic. I I, I remember the plot is something like he he's carrying like a a some kind of like data in his head, but it's only, it's like a few terabytes or something, right? It's not even a terabyte. It's like it's seven or 800 gigs. And it's, it's he's like, like a walking USB stick. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I've never seen Johnny. Nevada. It's fantastic. It, it takes place in the future of 2021. Oh, uh, government uh, corporations run the world. Uh, -huh. uh, there's a global pandemic, <laughs> uh, and the info wars are in full swing as different factions try wow. to so control the narrative. they're right about everything except that people carry USBs in their heads. No, we carry, yeah. But I mean, we carry, you know, the equivalent of that with us, you know, everywhere we go. Yeah, it's, it's I highly recommend it. It's, it's, yeah. it's so stylized and so cool. And that's Keanu Reeves, right? Keanu Reeves, yeah. He, it, was, it was interesting. Like he did a movie about like earlier in the 90s when people had no idea what the internet was. And got it totally wrong. And then he was in The Matrix where people like finally nailed that story of like, oh, this is what computer technology could be like. Hmm. There's there's a great scene where he puts like a virtual reality helmet on and he's in the internet like controlling things. Is that the metaverse? Basically. Wow. Well, I think that about wraps it up for us today on this episode of China Unscripted. Don't you guys agree? Can we end it on a positive note? Johnny Mnemonic. <laughs> All right, if you can think of something more positive. Oh, maybe I can't. We're going to talk about zero COVID. And now we end on your defeat. Mm, that's a positive note. That's a positive for me and Chris. No, I think it's it's a sign of the times that we can't can't even find, you can't find something positive. Oh, I actually can find something positive. But no? This goes all the way back to the Eileen Goo thing, which is... Something you said about like about Nathan Chen, where you're like, well, isn't that normal that a Chinese American skates or an American citizen skates for America? It's actually pretty unique in a certain sense, because you know America is really probably the only country in the world where you can come and become an American so quickly. I mean, there's still a lot of difficulties with getting American citizenship for a lot of people, but uh, like I'm thinking about culturally, you can become American, your family can become American in a generation. And that's not something that exists in a lot of the world. And I think that, you know, if Americans who haven't really traveled or lived in other places may not kind of realize how 
unique this is. So, like, you're an American, but Mac could never go to China and be Chinese. No. Uh, I mean, even somebody like Dashan, right, the Canadian guy who went to China in the 80s and has lived in China for so long. And speaks just flawless Mandarin. He's always going to be, like, this. A foreigner, Lao Wai. Yeah, he's always going to be a Lao Wai. But um, not just China, though. That's not unique to China. I remember years ago traveling to Italy to visit a friend who was living there. And we were hanging out with some Italian guys, and she had to explain to them why I was American. Mm. She didn't even want to confuse them by telling them that I was born in China. So she kind of made it like, Shelley's parents were from China, and she was born in America. Mm-hmm. So that's what makes her American. Because, you know... Chinese people, there are a lot of Chinese people, uh, Chinese immigrants in Italy. They will never be Italian in that way. I mean, they could maybe eventually if the culture changes, but, you know, I don't know. So Yeah, but I mean, also like, you know, the European countries and Asian countries generally don't do birthright citizenship either, right? Like that's a, that's a Western Hemisphere thing anyway. Yeah. Right. And America is kind of at the forefront of that. And, you know, you know, Canada has it, I believe, as well. Like, But like it's we have birthright citizenship to the point that if you are born in airspace over America, you are an American citizen. Wow. That's beautiful. What if you're just born in regular space like the future panda? Like if the if you were born in a space station that happened to be circling America yeah. at that moment. That actually will have to become something that's discussed at some point in the future. Like where does we where is the cutoff? Is there a cutoff? How, are you a space citizen? Are you an American? Do people have I consider you? myself a citizen of space? <laughs> uh well that that was a nice positive note to end on. It was basically that America is great, right? Yes, that's what I'm saying. America is the best. Thanks for watching China Unscripted. I'm Chris Chappell. I'm Shelly Cha. And I'm Matt Ganesta. We'll talk to you next time.